The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's a pleasure to be here on the Paul Leslie Hour. I'm glad that you're here as well. The road has led me to Birmingham, Alabama, and I'm at the Lyric Theater, and I'm sitting down with Tommy Emanuel. Tommy Emanuel has composed, recorded, and performed music that really captures the imagination. Born in Australia in 1955, his music has resonated with people of all ages around the globe. He is a guitarist, and a respected one at that, a songwriter, an interpreter of other songs, a performing and a recording artist. He has been a much-requested guest here on the Paul Leslie Hour, <laughs> both by people who have appeared, but also listeners. It's the year 2020, so we are at the helm of the release of the Best of Tommy Songs. Tommy Songs is one word, by the way. Yeah. It's a great pleasure to welcome Tommy Emanuel. It's great to meet you. Thank you, Paul. It's an yeah. honor. Thank you, sir. So... You're going to perform tonight, and yeah. in just a few hours, you're going to be taking the stage. From your perspective, what is that like when you're stepping on stage in front of... It's incredibly exciting every yeah. night. Oh, absolutely. Um, my only thought today, really, since I got up this morning, was I'm playing tonight, and I'm looking forward to it. And I had a great time last night in, in uh, Huntsville. And so I've been looking forward to this. Uh, this is the second or third time I've played the Lyric Theatre. This is a beautiful theatre. And I, you know, I'm a boy living his dream. This is, I saw all this when I was a kid. You know, I would lay awake in the back seat of my father's car driving to the next town after a show. And I would day, I would dream about Playing in places like this. That's, that's what, that was my childhood dream to become a concert player and to be able to travel the world and play my own music. I just didn't have a clue how I was going to do that. All I knew was what I was doing at that time. And I quickly figured out that A, I needed, I needed to have something that would make people rush out and buy a ticket. I needed to create that demand. And I figured out also that if I wanted to have a career that wasn't just, you know, playing in bars and playing in clubs and playing covers, that I better get to work as a songwriter and write myself a repertoire. That was probably the hardest bit, hmm. you know. All the other stuff, traveling around, staying in little hotels and playing in little theaters and all, all that stuff's easy. Writing a song that means something is difficult. And so it's not as difficult as raising children and having a family. That's the most difficult thing in life. Hmm. But all this other stuff, traveling, playing, you know, being totally committed to it, that's easy. But it's all the other stuff that's hard. And so now, you know, I, this, this year I'm 65. So it means I've been a professional for nearly 60 years. So I better have it together by now, you know. We as a team, in other words, myself, my management, my sound man, my lighting man, that we all move as a team and it's very relaxed, you know. There's no dramas and stress around 
me and my team on the road. We just come and make it as easy as possible, you know. And um, Steve, my sound man, has been with me a long time. He's a big part of what I do, you know. His what he does sound wise is extraordinary. And uh, people come to my shows and they're so amazed about about the sound. You know, how do you make it sound like my head is almost inside your guitar? How do you do that? <laughs> you know, I can tell them how we do it. But, um, you know, it's just striving for that great sound um, and everything's pure, you know, and that keeps it easy. I don't have to worry about a lot of technology and gadgets and loopers and all that sort of stuff. It's just one good sound. That's all I'm looking for. I have three guitars on the road, and uh, but then I have my songs. Really, my show, the um, the songs are the star of the show. Mm. Well, based on what you're saying right there, mm -hmm. how important do you think humility is? Humility? Yeah, because th this sounds as very humble. As a human being, humility is everything. Huh. Because, uh, you know, this is one of the things where people clash is, you know, a lot of people think that their opinion means a lot. I have never been a person who felt that I should give my opinion to everybody. Mm. Paul, if you asked me my opinion about something, I would give it, give it to you as honest as I could. But unless you really ask me, I'm not going to say anything about anything that I think I have an opinion about because I don't think my opinion matters that much. I, I'm I'm a servant. That's how I look at it. I'm here to play music for people. My job. People buy a ticket. They they want to come and see and feel something that takes them out of their life, that takes them out of their ordinary existence, or in the uh, place that they're at. You know, and th that's why I I think we all love movies that are like fantasy. You know. People love Indiana Jones and Star Wars because it takes you away from reality mm -hmm. to another reality. And music can do the same thing. It can bring back memories. It can surprise you, you know. And I think I never, ever forget that I'm in the entertainment business. I never get to it's all about me up there, ever. It's all about me doing the good job. That's what it's about. And, and selecting the songs that I think will really take people out of their normal existence and take them to another level. And for maybe an hour and 45 minutes, they won't be thinking about their stress or problems or things that are going on. They'll be captivated by what's going on in front of them, visually and sonically. And so I look at it that way, you know. I, what pleases me, I don't give a damn about glory and all that stuff. Mm. I could care less. People say, well, what's it like to win, you know, best guitar player, blah, blah. I said, that doesn't feed your family. Work feeds my family. Mm. So it, it is nice to be recognized. It is nice to be appreciated, of course. But that's not what makes my motor run, mm. you know. What makes my motor run is to do a good job and do a good job for people who come and see me. So I always keep it that kind of perspective. Look, there are a million musicians out there better than me, but I can write a song and I can take you somewhere. And that in itself is a gift. 
And I realized that early on, that when I played, something wonderful happened to people, and I still don't know what it is. All I know is it's there, and I believe that that's why I'm supposed to play, you know? Mm. So I just keep it really simple. You know, when people, especially young people who, who see uh, and read stories in magazines and on videos or in movies about what show business is like, they have no idea what the reality of it, how hard you have to work, how honest and open you have to be, you know? I remember coming out of a pub in Sydney when I was playing in a band and I had an old General Motors wagon, what we call this, uh, a panel van, mm. which is like a, like a pickup truck kind of thing with a back on it. And I had my old Fender amps and my guitars in there and I slugged all my gear around and set it up and played the show with my band. And then I packed up and put it all back in the pickup again, you know, and all these young guys standing there like, Where's your crew, man? Where's your Ferrari? And all this sort of stuff. And it's like, I don't want no stinking Ferrari and I don't need a crew. I can carry stuff, you know? So that's how I am, even to this day. You were saying earlier that when you embarked on this career of yours, you said, I've got to get a repertoire together. i got to write the songs. Yeah. Would you say that you write songs in a different way than other people? I don't know. Um I'd say I do probably because of how I'm wired. When I write a song for to play on the guitar, I never think I'm writing a song for the to play on the guitar. I'm thinking I'm writing for a singer and a band. Mm. And that just seems to happen naturally. But I have a a quality level that I think listening to the right people all my life has instilled in me, you know. You have to have a quality level to aim at. You know, and if the song doesn't reach that quality level, it's out the door for mm. that song, you know. And the thing about songwriting is people don't understand. It takes a lifetime to get any good at that stuff. Mm. You've got to listen and listen and take stuff in all the time. And, you know, I have young people these days, because we've got computers and phones and everything happens instantaneously, Young people see me on YouTube and they go, oh, I want to try and write like this guy. So they, they, they start writing and it turns out terrible, you know, and they write to me and like, I'm, I'm writing a lot, but none of it's any good. And I'm, you know, how old are you? Well, I'm 16. Well, there's your reason. You haven't done anything yet. You don't have any ammunition to work with yet. I mean, how often does a Mozart come, uh, through the, 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 uh, up our street, you know, how often does someone like that or Beethoven come down the river? Not that often. Mm. So, you know, Mozart is one of the few people who, by the time he was six years old, he was already writing work of a genius. That's extraordinary. I can tell most young people that I've been writing songs for since I was about 10. So the first 25 years was some of the most forgettable music you've ever heard because I can't remember any of it. I only remember the stuff that really sticks, that means something, you know. And I've learned to just go with the flow and, and realize I can't just clock on and write a song and, and have it be a hit or whatever. I can't do that. But if something happens to me to inspire me, to move me, to, to give me a reason to write, I will jump on that I'll like a dog on a bone <laughs> and I'll write the song and finish it wherever I am. 
I've written songs on trains, on planes, on buses, at hotel rooms, you know, you name it. I've written songs everywhere, on stage, backstage. But you've got to have a reason to write. You've got to have something to write about, mm. you know. Sometimes even the sound of my own guitar will inspire me. It just depends, you mm. know. I walked into this room where you and I are sitting right now, which is my dressing room here at the Lyric Theatre, and my guitar sounds beautiful. It does. I love it. I was, I'm playing it. But I got in, I walked into my hotel in Beijing in China last year and I took this guitar out of the case and for some reason it sounded magical. And I knew straight away I, I've got to write something now and I did. And I wrote that song right there and then. I recorded it on my iPhone. I texted it to my wife back in California and I said to her, Play this song to Rachel. She's our four-year-old daughter. Play it to Rachel and ask her, what is this music about? Ah. I wanted her, her perspective. She listened to it and she said, it sounds like the wide ocean. Ah. And I said, thank you, darling. That's the title right there, the wide ocean. I would never have thought of that. But I love doing stuff like that because it's, it's trusting in, in nature and not always trusting in the voice in your own head. Huh. Let, let someone else hear it and see what, what it does for them. And if it's any good, it will do something. You know, When I wrote Lewis and Clark, this, uh, tried to tell the story about Lewis and Clark without words, it turned out to be one of the best songs I've ever written and the most difficult to write because it had to be simple. It's easy to string a whole bunch of notes together. I could sit here and write you something that would probably amaze you, but I'll bet it wouldn't stick. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So it's got to really stick, and I'm really fussy. Being that you, you said you're a man that is not likely to share his opinion unless asked, I would like to know from your perspective. Mm-hmm. Who are the greatest songwriters and composers? And not limited to any genre. You mentioned no. Mozart, but mm. modern, who really well, has a place right here? In my heart, oh, yeah. Moe Haggard especially. Wow. Yeah, Jimmy Rogers, Hank Williams. They were the founder. They're the foundation. Now, as far as listening to songs and trying to learn how to be a songwriter, the people that I stole everything from are... Number one, the Beatles, Carole King, James Taylor, Gordon Lightfoot, Neil Diamond, Billy Joel, Stevie Wonder, uh, the Eagles, Don Henley, all those guys. That, that's the stuff that I, I listened to and tried to learn how to write like that. Mm. I would hear a song like uh, a Carole King song, like I Feel the Earth Move, or you make me feel like a natural woman and listen to how the melody with the chord makes me feel. No, notice that, you know? And so, like for instance, when I did the Stevie Wonder tour in Australia in 1980, I was so inspired being around him that I wrote a song. As soon as the tour finished, I, I literally left the airport, went home, home and went over to my neighbor because he had a piano. And I sat at his piano and I wrote it. I wrote this song and I couldn't have written it if I hadn't been inspired by Stevie Wonder. Cause the, some of the things that I noticed was like, 
he starts a melody and the chord is unusual. How's he doing that? You know, so uh, it, 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 and then it resolves and then it's unusual again and then it resolves again. And I was, I was like trying to almost scientifically examine how he wrote. So, you know, there are so many great writers out there now. And I've listened to everybody, you know, from Marvin Gaye, John Fogarty, uh, now to Ed Sheeran. Keith Urban's a great writer. Back in the, back in the eighties and nineties, there were guys like Michael McDonald, Randy Goodrum, all the guys from Earth, Wind and Fire, you know, all those songs. That's the stuff that I listened to. And I was not interested in noodly doodly stuff, you know, guitar playing, guitar players compositions were about impressing other guitar players. And that left me pretty cold. I wanted, I wanted to hear a melody that I could sing. And every time I wrote a song, I'd get all excited and I would call my mentor, Chet Atkins. Mm. And I'd say, Hey, chief, I've just written this song. And before I could play it to him, he'd say, Can you hum it? Can you sing it? You know, <laughs> he's already instilling that in me, you know. <laughs> so well, there are a lot of great songwriters out there. I mean, Nashville is so full of great songwriters. When I used to go to LA, as a writer back in the 80s, I mean, I just heard great song after great song after great song. I was like, God, how do these people do it, you know? <laughs> there were writers and producers like David Foster, um, Steve Kipner, who wrote Let's Get Physical, Twist of Fate, Heart Attack, all those great songs that Olivia did. And then there was her producer, John Farrer. Those guys have been friends of mine since the 70s. But they've been a great example as writers, you know? I can kind of hear, when I hear a young writer who has something, I can hear, first of all, the infancy of his abilities and his writing, but I can always hear the potential, you mm. know? And then I'll hear some other guys who I can tell they've, they've, they've just ripped off that sound, ripped off that, they've got one of my chords there and they've got one of Chet's phrases there and they've pieced this thing together and that's what it sounds like, a hodgepodge of, of mediocre ideas, you mm. know? And, you can't expect people to buy a concert ticket to come and see mediocrity. We've got to fight it tooth and nail, you know. Hmm. Now, it's interesting when I asked you the greatest songwriters, the first two you mentioned were great country artists. Yeah, Jimmy Merle Rogers. Merle Haggard, Jimmy Rogers, yeah. and, and Hank Williams. Yeah. They're three of the greatest. most important people who ever sang a song wow. and who ever wrote a song. Well, on the note of country music, last night when I was in Atlanta, I was driving and I was listening to Sirius XM, and there you were. Was you, you were playing. It was a replay of the Grand Ole Opry. Uh, oh, it, no. And I thought, this is just how I think, I thought, it's a sign. Yes, I, it's great I'm going tomorrow. And I'm, <laughs> ho I'm hoping you can tell us a little bit about maybe people have this idea that country music has to be prosaic. It has to be... Really simple, and sometimes it is, but there's some beautiful music. Oh my God, there's some amazing music, songs written in country music. I mean, when you think about Jimmy Rogers' Miss the Mississippi, that's a masterpiece of songwriting because it has an introduction before it comes into the main theme. So, so it goes like this. Uh, um, uh, uh. I'm growing tired of the big city lights. Tired of the glamour and tired of the sight 
In all my dreams I have wandered along Back to my heart on the old river shore Then I am sad and weary Longing for my home Beautiful chords. Yeah. Mr. Mississippi and you, dear. That's the 20s right there, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> so that's already, there's already chords in that song that a lot of country people don't even know, you know. But it's not easy to write something simple that's really incredibly meaningful, mm. you know. If you look at some of Hag's uh, songs, Things I Learned in a Hobo Jungle, the things they never taught me in a classroom, like where to find a handout while bumming through Chicago in the afternoon. You know, there's a great opening line right there. I was on stage the other night with a singer-songwriter guy who's an Australian like me, and we were answering questions about song about songwriting. And I and I and because this this friend of mine, Rick Price, he's a great writer and he's a real quiet-spoken kind of humble guy. And I said, this guy wrote one of the best opening lines of a song I've heard in years. And, and they all went, okay, tell us what it is. And I said, I've got a picture hanging on the wall. It's hard to believe you were ever that small. Song about his son, mm. you know. And just something like that, that, that gives me chills. He's just said something that really went straight to my heart. That's not easy. So I think... Uh, I mean, it's, everything I play sounds country because I came from country music. I'm a rock and roll player. And when I write like cinematic kind of music, it's because I love movies and I love the music in movies. So when I'm writing a piece, I don't think about whether it's country, rock, jazz, blues, whatever. I don't think of any of that. I, I almost see the movie that I'm writing this music for mm. instead. You know what I mean? Because I don't like the idea of, of being put in a box, you know. We, we can't market you. You'll have to go somewhere else because it's not blues, it's not jazz, mm. it's not country. What is it? Oh, it's my music, you know. Okay, well, what do you call it? Tommy songs. That's why I had to use that title. You know, it's like Jerry Reed wrote a song called Reedology, and it's it's very clever because it describes his style. When you play that song, it's a Jerry Reed style. So it's Reedology. And I stole that idea and I thought, how can I let the listener know or, or the person who's reading about it that these are my songs, Tommy songs, one word. That, that's how I came up with that. Stroke of genius, don't you think? I love it. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It was, it was cool. just to see any idea I could come with up with at the time. Well, tell us about this collection. It'll be out in May, correct? In May, yes. 24 original songs. Wow, okay. And there will be another album with another 24 songs on it. And I'd written a lot of new songs, and I, I wanted to re-record an album of mine that I did back in the late 90s called Only, which had 17 original songs on it, and I don't own the right to that, and I never will, to that mm. particular album. I have the rights to the songs because I'm the composer, but I don't have the rights to those performances. So I re-recorded them again so I could have the rights to those things. Plus, I wanted my fans and listeners to hear my older works, kind of how I play them now, 
and it was great to visit them again. It was like going and seeing your your children or something. Mm. Mm. So when somebody listens to this Tommy Songs album, yeah, or when they're sitting in the audience and they're watching you, listening to you perform. What is the best case scenario? What do you hope they get from the experience of hearing you? I, I hope they are not thinking about anything else and they're just letting themselves, let the music wash over them and take them away. You know what I mean? Mm. Music should be therapeutic. It should be exciting. It should be mind-altering, you know? And uh, I think that's why we... People in general love listening on headphones and just closing their eyes because it just takes you away, you know. But when you come to a show, it's a different matter. It's like your ass is mine now and I'm going to do whatever I want with you until I'm ready to let you go and you are going to love it. You know what I mean? So that sounds egotistical almost, but it's not. It's about... I'm serious about what I'm doing up there, and I really want you to have the time of your life and be surprised. And and when you leave this place, I want the first thing I want to hear you say is, when are you coming back? <laughs> That's it, you know? Whether you think I'm the greatest or what, I could care less, like I said before. But I do care that people have a great time, and that tells me that I'm then doing my job, you know? And that's what pleases me. <laughs> So, there you go. I had somebody one time, he said, uh, he said, it doesn't matter who wanted to hear your album. It's who wanted to hear it again. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, how much can you, you know. Like, I remember when Donald Fagan's The Nightfly album came out in 1979. I still can't get enough of that album <laughs> after all these years. And I know people who hate it. You know mm. what I mean? Because they say, oh, it's clinical. It's, it's, so, it's too perfect. It's this, it's that. If you listen to how beautifully it's produced, how amazing the writing is, and then all the great playing and all that, I, I hear all the beauty in it. And I learn, you know, what I don't know about songwriting from listening to that. But it fills my soul to hear that song, mm. to hear that album. So, you know. Some things, like Sinatra, Live at the Sands, 1965, with the Count Basie Orchestra, with Freddie Green playing rhythm guitar, one of, another one of my heroes. I, I just cannot get enough of that <laughs> album, and I'm still so amazed when I hear Sinatra at his best. <laughs> when he sings The Shadow of Your Smile, the sound of his pipes just kill me. It really does. And I wish it makes me wish I was born to be a singer, <laughs> but uh, I have to be happy with whatever I have, you know. Speaking of heroes, I would like it if you would tell us a little bit about this musician that you mentioned. He had such an incredible influence. So many guitar players, yourself, Earl Clue, they mm. always mentioned the name Chad Atkins. Chad Atkins. Yeah. What was he like when you were eyeball to eyeball with him? He was exactly as I thought he was. He was a loving, caring guy who had high standards and who always was helpful. You know, like he never said that's wrong or you should do it like this. He'd always say, you ever thought of trying this? <laughs> you know what I mean? He was just such a gentleman. And 
he was always encouraging and he was, but he was very honest. You know, I remember I wrote a song with Randy Goodrum and Randy wrote the bridge and it was very unusual. I liked it, but when I played it to Chet, he loved all, everything right up until the bridge came in and then it kind of disturbed him. Mm. And he said, why did you go there? You know, and I said, cause it needed to lift out of where it was. He said, yeah, but, uh, Anyway, it's nice, and then we just moved on. But I knew that that he didn't get that, uh, you know. And some people are like that, you know. If it's not three chords and the truth, they don't want to hear it, mm. you know. So, <laughs> but it's art in in its own way, you know. Chet was wonderful. He always pointed me to the good songs and and gave me a path, you know. He laid it out for all of us, and and cared so much about who was playing what and the younger generation and how we could turn them on to this music. You know, he virtually ordered me to get out there and take the music that I'm writing, take take it to the world. Don't waste a minute. Get out there and get going. He's like, I can't travel anymore. You need to get going. And, you know, so I was already doing that anyway, but hmm. that's how much he cared about it, you know. And... um we still miss him, but you know, if you play one of his songs in his key, you can hear the master's voice. Mm. Well, I know you've got to get rolling. You've got a show to do soon. You know, you, you touched on something very interesting. Get out there into the world. You're a man from Australia. You've yeah. gone around the world to play music. Yeah. You've With touched no it. training. I don't read mm. music. I play everything by ear. I'm literally just making all this up as I go along. Because that's what I know, hmm. you know, and um, it's a blessed life. You know, I've had a lot of hard times, like everybody. Uh, I've been broke so many times. I've had a lot of things fail on. I've had people tell me I'm crazy. No one's interested in that. I've had record companies refuse me, refuse to put out music. I've had people really try to say, "Look, why don't you just go and join a band? Take the easy road. This is too hard. No one's interested in that." And I'm like, "Nope." This is the way I'm going. Whether you like it or not, I don't care. <laughs> you know? And in fact, one of the best lessons I've ever learned in my life, and I'll hand this on to you right now, is what other people think of me is none of my business. <laughs> and uh, so I just show up, dress up, do my best. That's my code. Well, what's the best thing about being Tommy Emmanuel? The freedom to just be yourself. I, I don't have... I don't have anything that uh, is uh, weighing me down, you know. I'm free. I just play because I love to play. And my secret weapon is that I'm always the same and I'm always myself. doesn't matter where I am, if I'm on stage, if I'm sitting here with you, if I'm on TV, if, I, if I've got a thousand people screaming and going nuts over what I do, I'm still just the same person all the time. And that is a wonderful freedom. You know, and you know, I'm not, I'm not lusting after money or fame. To me, fame is actually a curse mm. if, to a lot of people, and I don't really care. I love the fact that I can play at the Ryman Auditorium to 1,800 really rabid fans and have the time of my life. And the next morning, I can go to Starbucks two, blo two blocks down. And no one takes any notice. <laughs> it's beautiful. I can be invisible. I can disappear into you, into the crowd. 
Now, I don't know how that happened. I know Mark Knopfler and I talked about that one day, and he can do the same thing. He, if, if he walked in here right now, you would, it would probably take you a minute to work out who he is. Wow. You know what I mean? So, yeah, he's, he's a great example. He's a great inspiration as a writer, player, but as a, as a person who's in this business and who's totally real to the core. He's a great example. So is Eric Clapton. Eric, Eric is a little different though. Eric's now getting out and, and, you know, he came out to our show when Jerry Douglas and I played in Brighton in England. Jerry with his wife and daughters came to the show. Um, Eric came to the show with his wife and daughters and he sat out in the crowd and people came and got photos with him and he was really friendly and, and people were like, wow, what a great guy. You know, I'm so glad he's reached that point, you know, because there were times when Eric couldn't go anywhere. So, you know, fame is a momentary curse. What pleases me is to do a good job. <laughs> well, my last question, I always like to end. It's a very broad question, mm -hmm. but I, I like to give the guest the stage. Oh. You can go anywhere you want, and, you know, there's going to be people listening who, they are musicians, but then there's people who just love music. They, they're they yeah. music fans. Well, what would you say to them? I, w I would say keep loving music and find find in the music what fills your heart and your soul. Life is too short to waste your hearing on stuff that doesn't move you just because you think maybe you need to be educated. You know, it's like rap music and hip-hop music. I can see how the younger generation love it, and some of it's good, but I can't listen to it. A, I have no hearing left. I was born with yellow fever, so I've had my no hearing all my life. I'm wearing hearing aids, which helps me to he hear you talking. But don't waste your time on things that don't move you or that don't have soul. Just go to things that really move you, you know? And enjoy it, you know, and stop worrying about trying to be as good as this guy or that girl or sing as good as that guy. If you can't write a song, doesn't matter. There's plenty of songs that you can sing and play, you know. And if you're, if you're really trying and, and you feel like it's going to take forever, just take your time. There's no hurry, <laughs> you know. Don't be in a hurry for anything because all the good stuff in life, all the real stuff that lasts, and has integrity, that takes time. <laughs> so give yourself time. Everyone out there, they can visit TommyEmmanuel.com. Mm -hmm. You have made me completely relaxed talking to you. Well, great. Same here. I've enjoyed this very much. Thank you, sir. Thank you for your time. All right. Goodbye.